Hey, I want to welcome you this morning to Worship at Shades, and uh, we're glad for those that are with us here in the room, and also for those that are joining us online, we're glad to have you with us on this Sunday. If you got your Bibles, we'd like for you to open them to Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 9. This is the fourth week in a sermon series that we've entitled Re focus. And as you heard in the bumper, we have just come through a year where a lot of our focus has been on ourselves and our situation. And so uh, it is time for us to refocus and refocus our, uh, our vision off of ourselves onto others, onto the needs of others and to a world that needs Jesus Christ. And so to do that, we're taking a look at the New Testament church. And as the New Testament church started, there was a major event that took place that caused the entire church to have to refocus. And so what we're doing is we're walking through that refocusing and looking at individual lives. How did they refocus their life? And then let's take lessons from that and then apply it to our own life. That's the way that this works. So each Sunday, we take a look at an individual. And today, I'll be preaching maybe the longest title I've ever preached from. And this is the title for today's sermon. It is Saul and Ananias. God's got this, and he wants your help. Okay? Take about three minutes. Write that title down. Saul and Ananias. God's got this. And he wants your help. Listen, in life, there are times when critical situations come up, when difficult uh, circumstances surround you. Life-altering decisions have to be made. And in the midst of that, there's a little bit of concern and not sure what that next step is. And it is so great when somebody steps up and says, hey, I got that. I got that. And when someone does that, it's like this confidence begins to breed within you and say, okay, all right, we're going to be able to make it through this. Because somebody stepped up and they said, hey, I got this. Well, since it is March Madness, it gives you the perfect opportunity to give a illustration from Hoosiers. All right. Uh, One of the great movies of all time. Some of you say, I've never seen that movie. You need to check your salvation, number one. And number two, you need to watch it before the week is over. Now, uh, in the movie, and I can go through the whole thing, but to come to the championship game, when we get to the championship game, uh, this small school playing against a large school, no one thought they would be in it. And all of a sudden, there's like 10 seconds left and there's a tie game. And they call on the sideline and they're getting ready to call that play for someone to take this last shot to see if they can win the state championship. And so the coach looks at their best player, Jimmy Chitwood, and he says, we're going to use you as a decoy and we're going to run the the old swinging gate and uh, Merle, you're the one that's going to take the shot. And when he says that, the whole team just steps back and you see their shoulders drop and there's this silence and the coach is saying, what is it? What is it? And then Jimmy Chitwood the best player, but also the quietest player that never says anything, looks at his coach and he says, I'll make it. As soon as he said that, all of a sudden, you could see everybody perk back up and there was a great confidence because Jimmy Chitwood said, I'll make it. In essence, he says, I got this. I got this. And when Jesus was getting ready to ascend to heaven, uh, after he'd risen from the dead and spent time with his, uh, with his disciples, he left them with something we call the Great Commission. And he looks at these guys and he says, listen, guys, you need to go and make disciples. And you need to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And then he kind of narrowed it down at the end. And he says, listen, guys, you're to be my witnesses in Jerusalem 
then Judea, and then Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. It was clear what his directions were. And so he ascends to heaven, and they, they right there in Jerusalem, begin to start the New Testament church, and it starts growing, and they are just punting all their energies into Jerusalem. But what is happening is they're just mired in that one location. And that's not what Jesus said. Jesus says, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the world. But they were just focused on Jerusalem. And then all of a sudden, persecution came. And then it got escalated to the point that Stephen, one of the deacons, was a martyr for the faith. He defended the gospel and he was killed for it. Well, all of a sudden, persecution intensified. And as it intensified, then a lot of people began to scramble and leave Jerusalem and they began to go to different places. And it said that as they went, they were preaching the word of God. So they've got some folks that are scrambling out there, but in the midst of all of this, we get introduced to someone and his name is Saul. And it says at the end of chapter seven that the men that were going to stone Stephen, they took their coats off and they handed it to the guy who was handling the coat rack and it was Saul. And so Saul watches what is happening. And we begin to learn a little bit more about this man, Saul. He says he was this Pharisee and uh, he, he was very knowledgeable and he was powerful in his speaking and, and, and he was one that was so committed to, to Judaism and, and, and to the God of the Old Testament. And he looked at Jesus' claims and he said, there's no way he can be the Messiah. And there's surely no way that this guy has risen from the dead like other people said. So he took it on to say, I'm going to eradicate Christianity. I'm going to go in, root out these people, arrest them, and if need be, agree to their murder. Because what they are doing and saying is wrong. And so all of a sudden, he begins to kick it into high gear. So if you're following the scripture and you come to the end of chapter seven in the book of Acts and the first few verses in chapter eight, this is what you see. The gospel was not spreading. Persecution was threatening to wipe out the entire Christian population. Saul was a first century Darth Vader instilling fear into every believer. Scripture says that he was ravaging the church. It's a word of like a wild boar that's ripping into a vineyard. And it says this is what he was doing to the church and he was instilling fear everywhere. That is chapter end of seven, first of eight. But then you get to chapter nine. And when you get to chapter nine, just when the situation looked hopeless, God steps in and God says, I got this. I got this. And he says, and I want you to help. But I want you to know, I got this. Today, your personal life just might resemble the end of chapter seven and the first of chapter eight, where there's fear, uncertainty, and even hopelessness. In fact, you may look at our country and look at our world and all that you see is the pain and the hopelessness of chapter seven and the beginning of chapter eight. I've got good news for you. And that is God's got this and he wants your help. I want you to follow with me in Acts chapter nine. As we read in Acts chapter nine, we're going to read this story of, of the account of Saul and of Ananias. And let's look at these two men. Are you ready? Starting in the first verse. It says, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus 
So if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. He was like, uh, he, was, he was on a hunt. He was going to go up to Damascus, which was about 150 miles north. He'd seen a lot of people had gone up there and he was going to root out those Christians and bring them back and hold them for trial. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus whom you were persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand, and they brought him into Damascus. And for three days, he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he says, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise, go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in, lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he uh, has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and he entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. Okay, first major point I want you to know is this. God has the power, the plan, and the people. God has the power, the plan, and the people. And we're going to look at two of those people. The first one we're gonna look at is Saul. If you look at the way we put it on the notes, I've got Saul slash Paul, all right? Saul, Paul. So why are we doing Saul, Paul? He's Saul. Once he gets converted, you go over a few chapters and he changes his name to Paul. So uh, I already know that when I'm talking to you, sometimes I'll say Saul, sometimes I'll say Paul. So we'll just say Saul, Paul. We okay with that? So uh, same man, same man. Doesn't have double identities or anything like that. So uh, it's Saul. And then we've come to know him as, as Paul. What we pick up the story from him is he's been in Jerusalem. He's seen a lot of people flee up to Damascus. They've got large synagogues up there. And he said, tell you what, I want to get some papers to be able to go root out the Christians, arrest them, and then I can bring them back here, here for trial. And so it says that in the third verse, he'd almost completed his journey as he approached Damascus. And he tells his testimony two other times in the book of Acts. So you pick up some different facts. And one of those times he tells it, he said it was noontime. And I like that. Because you see, he's coming in to arrest people. And he is so large and in charge. And he is so bold that it's not like he's got to slip in at night. He's coming right in. He's coming in the middle of the day. And he knows that people are scared of him. And he doesn't really care. He's coming in town. 
And he's hoping that they get all this fear of God in them because he's going to root them out. He's going to find those Christians. He's going to, to arrest them. But it says that as he was approaching Damascus, this bright light hit him and it struck him so hard that he fell on the ground and he heard a voice that spoke to him. And then it says in verse eight that it blinded his eyes. So this light, now, I've never had this happen before in my life. And, uh, and I just got to share with you what happened today. Uh, driving in this morning, um, I was pulling on uh, to Acton Road and I was um, uh, going over the sermon in my mind. And so what I do is I start going through the verses, through chapter nine, verse one, verse two, verse three. And I got right here to this verse when it said that there was a bright light. And I'm not kidding you. There was this bright light to my left and this loud noise. It was a transformer that blew as I'm going around the corner. Boom, I get this bright light and this transformer. I said, oh. So I turn my radio down, hold my wheel, waiting for God to say something to me. I said, man, this is spooky uh, on that. And so, uh, so he has this bright light and, and is blinding him there. And then all of a sudden, the voice comes and it's personalized. He says, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? And he's looking up and he says, who are you, Lord? Now, most people believe it's not like Lord Jesus, but Lord is sir. So, so who is this, sir? Who are you? And in verse six, he tells him, excuse me, verse five, he says, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. Didn't need to say anything more. You see, this uh, Saul was a Pharisee, which meant he knew the Old Testament. Uh, he, he prayed all the time. He read God's word. And I also know that he probably kept up with what Jesus said. Because anytime you're going to attack an opponent, you want to know what that opponent believes and says. So you know he's, he's heard what people have said about Jesus. And there are things he didn't agree with, but he especially didn't believe this deal that he had risen from the dead. Come on, that cannot happen. But yet right now, he has been face to face with this Lord Jesus who truly has risen from the dead and who's reigning in glory. And so then he comes in verse six and Jesus says to him, this is what I want you to do. I want you to rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. Rise in the city, you'll be told what you are to do. Listen, he already had his agenda. He had his plan. He had his papers. He knew exactly what he was going to do in Damascus and it all got changed. Because you see, he's got a new planner now, and that's Jesus. And when a new planner comes in town, he creates a new plan for you. And so now they've created this new plan. And I love the way that he didn't tell him everything. He says, you go in town and be waiting for further instructions. And so in verses seven and eight, it says that he had to be helped and they had to kind of help carry him in town. He was on approaching Damascus, getting ready to come in with a revengeful fury. And he ends up going in as a helpless child, had to be helped by others. And he's just sitting in this room. And he says he's sitting in that room and he sits there for three days. And it says not eating anything, not drinking anything. Now here's the progression that happens with Paul. Number one, he starts out being perplexed. He's perplexed. And he has to be. I mean, his whole world got rocked in just those few moments. And it's not just the bright light. It's not just the voice in heaven. It's not just the blindness, though that is a lot to process. I believe it's a lot of what took place before that. 
You see, you understand that the first time we see Saul is Stephen's getting stoned. This is a guy who stands up and defends the gospel. And when everyone comes at him and says, you've got the death sentence, we're going to kill you. They said his face was like it was angelic. And that he looked up and he said that he saw Jesus standing there. And that he was getting ready to come into his presence. And yet there was, there was something about his facial expression. There was a peace that he had in the midst of people throwing these stones and killing him. And as Saul stands there and is watching this, that's an indelible impression in your mind that you'll never forget. That's an image that he would never forget. How can a guy have that much peace, in Paul's mind, of something that is delusional? He said, how, how, can that, how can that happen? And then he goes in, he begins to arrest Christians, and he says, if you'll renunciate your faith, I'll let you go. And he said, no, he's the risen Lord. We believe it. We've seen him. Throw him in jail. Throw him in jail. But yet these people continue to stand for their beliefs and willing to even die for it. That's got to work on him. So now all of a sudden, he's going to take a trip to Damascus. It's 150 miles. That's about a seven-day trip. And the way you travel, if you're a Pharisee going to do what he's doing, you take a guard from the Sanhedrin, uh, from their courts. But the Pharisees didn't really interact with the guards. They were a little above them. So that meant that he was pretty well on his own. He's walking steps ahead of these guys. But during those seven days, he's just processing. You think about that image of Stephen. You think about the ones that you've arrested. It just doesn't make sense. It just, just doesn't make sense. And now all of a sudden, boom. You get this light, you hear a word from the Lord, and you're sitting there, and in his perplexion, you can almost hear him saying to himself, Jesus is really alive. He is risen, which means he is the Son of God, which means he is the Messiah. It was perplexing. Number two, he was praying. In verse 12, God told Ananias that Paul, Saul, is right now praying. And as he's praying, he's going to get a vision of you coming to lay hands on him. And so this is a man who's used to praying. He's a Pharisee. They pray a bunch. And he's praying to God, but now he's praying to God with a whole different uh, outlook. And God is communicating with him, giving him this vision of this man who's going to come and lay hands on him, regain his sight. But the third thing, he gets promoted. He gets promoted. So what do you mean? Well, when Ananias comes to him, uh, he talks to him, lays hands on him, and he gives him a promotion in at least two ways. First of all, he's gone from an enemy of the church to a brother in Christ. He is a bringer of fear, and no longer is he a bringer of fear, but he's a carrier of good news because he's carrying hope in the good news of the gospel. That's a promotion. Man, I'm gone from the guy everybody fears to now all of a sudden I'm the guy that's carrying around good news and bringing hope for folks. He says, this is a good promotion. Now, some of you, if you've got your Bibles open and you're reading that, you say, well, Danny, that, uh, I can see what you say. But in verse 16, uh, Jesus also told Ananias, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my, my name. How do you call that a promotion when it says that he's going to suffer for his name? Listen. What scripture tells us is that when we suffer due to obedience, we grow deeper in our knowledge of God. So I want you to stay with me on this one. Because if, when we're obedient to God, and even when we suffer, it says we gain a deeper knowledge as to who God is. And you know what, what uh, God was telling Ananias? You know what I'm going to do with Saul over here? He's going to get to know me really well. He's going to go through some suffering, but in the depth of that suffering, he is going to be so knowledgeable of me. 
Now, you may sit there and say, well, that's what God says, but what does Paul say? <laughs> does he agree with that? I'm really glad you asked because in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, look what he says in verses nine and 10. He says, but God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul speaking, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He agreed wholeheartedly. He got promoted. But then what he did, he proclaimed Jesus. The next thing he did was proclaiming Jesus. After he'd eaten a little bit of food, guess what he did? He jumped up and started preaching. In verse 20, it says, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed. And they said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? How confused is everybody? I just think if you're the rabbi of that synagogue and someone says, hey, Paul, the Pharisee, he's coming in town. You know, he's kind of whipping everybody up. He's getting rid of these Christians over here. And I think they'd be standing in line and say, I want you to speak at my synagogue. I want to speak at my synagogue. So sure enough, boy, you bring him in and say, hey, Paul, man, you got the message. You're up, big fella. And you know it's going to be good. And then he stands up and he says, and Jesus is Lord. He is risen. He's the son of God. Whoa, there's a rabbi sliding right out of his view right there. He's going, where did this come from? This is completely different. And what Paul does, he just tells his story. And he talks about what happened to him on that Damascus road and that truly Jesus Christ is Lord. He begins proclaiming Christ. But let me tell you the very last thing and that he's powering up with the Holy Spirit. He is powering up with the Holy Spirit. Verse 22 says, but Saul increased all the more in strength. He increased all the more in strength. Christ, this dynamo of spiritual energy is pouring into him and he's getting stronger and stronger through the power of the Holy Spirit. Wow. You see, what happens is that God's got this. And I know things look bad there in this first century. He says, but I got this. And he says, I've got all the power we need and I've got a plan and I'm putting together people and I've got one person over here and it is Saul, but you know, I've got another man over here that's got to help me in that and that is Ananias. And this is where we get introduced to him and truly one of the heroes of the Christian faith. Ananias is a guy he selected to go by and see Paul. Why did you? Choose Ananias. In Acts twenty-two twelve, 12, when Paul's telling his testimony, he says, and Ananias, who was a devout man, he was respected. He was respected by those who were Christians and he was respected by those who were Jews, which I would take that to believe he was a disciple. He was a follower of Christ. And those that were Christians, they respected him so much because he was devout. But even those who disagreed with him theologically, had a respect for him because that's the kind of man he was. That's the kind of guy, that's the kind of lady that God's looking for to tap on the shoulder and say, I want, I want to use you. And you know, the reason why I think he also chose him is that when word begins to get out that Saul is now a believer, there are a lot of Christians that are going, I ain't buying that. This is some trick. He just wants to get all the Christians in one room and then he can arrest us all like that and send us down to Jerusalem. I, I don't know. I don't think I can buy that. And then all of a sudden, Ananias stands up and he says, hey, 
Let me share with you. I can confirm this. See, I was there. This is what God told me. This is what happened. This is what I saw. And because everyone respected this man, all of a sudden they go, okay, maybe we'll give him a chance. Maybe we'll give him a chance there. God specifically chose this man. Now, when he chose Ananias, there are two things about him we need to know. Number one, radical obedience in the face of uncertainty and fear. He had radical obedience in the face of uncertainty and fear. And this is a quality and a characteristic that we need, and especially in the world we live in today. A radical obedience in the face of uncertainty and fear. Now, what God did for Ananias, you wish and I wish he would do with us. It was about as clear as could be. <laughs> if you read verses 11 and 12, he tells him everything. You go to a street called Straight. You go to a house, a guy's named Judas. There's a man, Saul of Tarsus, that's there. He can't see, but right now he's going to be praying because he's got a vision that you're going to come. You're going to lay hands on him and then he's going to get his sight again. You got any questions? Have I got all the details for you? Yes, we understand, we do have all the details. However, there was a little bit of a backup. And this is only natural. And I love verses 13 and 14. God speaks to Ananias. He says, here I am, Lord. He gives him all his instructions and look at his response. His response was this. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call your name. What he's saying is, God, I know you haven't been in this area very long, but you need to check your sources. I mean, this guy's bad news. And the whole reason he's up there is not to have an evangelistic revival. It is to arrest Christians to take them back to Jerusalem. You need to kind of get your facts straight. And I love the way God responded. The very next verse, verse he says, go. <laughs> go, all right? Listen, I want you to go. And this is why I want you to go. And he reveals the purpose of him. He says, he is going to be an instrument of mine. And he's going to go both Gentiles, Jews. He's going to be speaking to kings. He will be my instrument. And I need you to go and to tell him that. And so I need you to go. That's radical obedience to go in the face of uncertainty and fear, to walk in to the most dangerous man in the face of Christianity at that day. And for you as a layman to go knock on his door and to walk in there and present yourself. Wow. Radical obedience. But second is this, to carry God's love, forgiveness, and mercy. Ananias is one who was carrying God's love, forgiveness, and mercy. There are a number of people, and I'm kind of in that group, that one of the favorite parts of this, of this whole account is verse 17. And in verse 17, Ananias departed. He entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, From the conversion experience he had on the Damascus Road, he sat in silence for three days. And the very first word that was spoken to him by another believer was, Brother Saul. Wow. How comforting is that? You know what he said? You're part of our team, you're part of this family. And automatically, Ananias was knitting his heart to Saul's, this murderer, uh, this enemy, because he had made that decision for Christ. 
And what Ananias was doing, he was carrying love, he was carrying mercy, and he was carrying forgiveness. And he comes and he got a fraternal word for him to say, hey, Brother Saul, I'm getting ready to lay hands on you. You can gain your sight uh, on there. And, um, and I welcome you and accept you as a brother in Christ. So in the midst of persecution, fear, and hopelessness, what does God say? He says, I got this. I have got this. And he displays his power. He unveils his plan. And then he recruits the necessary people. He selected the leader, Paul. He selected Ananias to be over here to confirm his testimony. And as you read the New Testament, you'll see that for 2,000 years, this plan has worked pretty well. Now, here's the last thing, and that is today. Today, God still got this, and he wants your help. Today, in our world, 2021, God still got this, and he wants our help. In all the midst of the confusion, frustration, and craziness of today's world, we have a tendency to give in to the paralysis of fear and a resignation of defeat. And we are to learn from this New Testament church that we are to face the realities of our fallen world, but at the same time, remember that God loves this world and that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. It is time to refocus and be reminded that God still got this. He is still in control. He has the power, he has the plan, and he is looking for people, the church, to help. And what we need to do is we need the church to be the church. We just need the church to be the church. We are to be followers of Christ who trust in the power of God and are willing to be used by God. There will be some who will be like an apostle Paul, but every one of us can be like an Ananias. And that is a devout, faithful follower who has the respect of others because we don't back off on what we believe, but yet we are people who carry love and mercy and forgiveness and we come out into this dark world and we bring light to a dark world. Every one of us can do that. So I'll close you with these two things. Number one, you have a mission, embrace it. You have a mission, embrace it. Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it, and that is to love your neighbor as yourself. We have a mission. We are to be transformed believers who move into our sphere of influence and take the word of Christ to them. That's who we are. Listen, we all have this mission. Let's embrace it. This is what God's called us. And then last of all is you have a story, tell it. You have a story, tell it. It's your story of salvation and you need to tell it. You know, in the, it's so important in the book of Acts that all of chapter nine, a lot of chapter nine is Paul is detailing Paul's um, uh, testimony of what happened. Then Luke records Paul telling his testimony two other times in the, in the book of Acts. So out of 28 chapters, three of them have got his testimony in there. It's important. It's your story. You tell it. Lily, we baptized her. She's got a story. I grew up in a Christian home. I'm so thankful for that. And, and all the things I learned about God's word and God's will. But I realized there came a particular time where I had to make a personal decision. It has to be my relationship with God. It has to be a personal decision. And I made that decision. And then take that next step of obedience in baptism. All right? You have a story to tell it. Listen, our story is one of grace, mercy, 
victory and hope. Our story is about Jesus. And every time we tell it, we give him praise and we give hope to others. Tell your story. Listen, God's got it. He's got this. He's all powerful. He's got a great plan. And he wants the church, his people, to be used by him. And when we embrace the mission that God has given us, and then we go and we tell our story and live out our story, then God will do some incredible things. Let me ask you to bow your heads and close your, mind, close your eyes. Father, we are so thankful uh, for the salvation uh, that you have provided us through your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, um, it is my prayer that as each one of us are listening to this, that we would feel this challenge. And, Lord, there are some that are watching this right now who, when they describe their life, it would be the end of Acts 7 and the beginning of Acts 8. I mean, they are walking through some difficult waters. And they're going through situations that at times on the surface, it just looks hopeless. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit, the great comforter, uh, the one that, that guides us into knowledge and to wisdom and surrounds us with your presence, that, that they would sense that today and that you would give them a peace that passes all understanding. And I pray for those who've never made this decision that, that today could be a day to where they, just like the Apostle Paul said, man, I'm ready to ask Jesus to come into my life and to begin that walk with him. And Lord, and for all of us, may we be ones who embrace the mission that you've given us. Don't back down. Let's embrace it. You have the power. You have the plan. We pray that we would be your people. And Lord, and we walk from this place, help us all to tell our stories. Because when we tell our story, our story of grace and love and mercy and victory, that it is also a story that points to you and it gives you praise and honor and it gives hope to others. May we be ones who tell our story. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.